Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today I'm here with Josh Cantor. Josh, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Josh spent nearly 15 years as a transactional attorney before leaving private practice to take on the responsibility of reorganizing his family's activities under the umbrella of a single family office. For 20 years, Josh has been responsible for all things family office related for his multi-generational, multi-branch family. Josh also consults with families on issues around family office design and family governance and education. And he recently launched Leaf Planner, which we'll get into, a digital information sharing platform designed to replicate his family's, quote, owner's manual, a tool to identify blind spots, collect, organize, and communicate information to family members and advisors, and to provide a more holistic succession of information. And it's funny, you and I were talking before we went live, how I'm part of this YPO personal investing network forum. And this exact issue came up where most of us, probably half the group are first generation wealth creators or business owners. And they were asking, where do I go for a third party? Not so much evaluation, but a kind of a reality check. Am I covering all my bases? How do I make sure that I've got everything organized and structured without going to somebody who's you know selling me a product or wants my AUM? And I thought it's funny that you mentioned that. I've got a guy that might be a really good fit here. So maybe take us back and kind of what the genesis of this was and what kind of led you to leave the practice of law. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. You know, Leaf Planner particularly comes very much from my own personal story, as so many of these things do, right? And for me, that really meant, as you had described in my background, originally 15 years as a practicing lawyer in Chicago, mostly doing corporate and transactional work. I won't bore you with the whole 
story of how we got there, but my dad had been a world-renowned trust and estate lawyer. We had a really complicated enterprise structure. We had a really complicated tax situation. We were actually filing at the time, I think 750 tax returns a year. So it's a little oh, overwhelming. Oh. And my dad got sick as so often, you know, it wasn't the good news for me was it wasn't the heart attack, the proverbial bus. It was, you know, he got cancer. We knew he was going to pass away. And so I left my practice to basically come take on this responsibility for my family. And, you know, interestingly for me, I look at it and I say, I mean, I was inadvertently yet perfectly trained to step in and do this. And of course, most families don't have a me who can pick up and leave their job. And I actually was one of those few people who liked being a lawyer. So I wouldn't say I, you know, was like thrilled to get out of it. And I had this 18 months of notice with my dad being sick and notwithstanding having that 18 months, when he passed away, there were so many things I didn't know. I didn't understand. I didn't even know the questions to ask. And so I realized, you know, here again, I'm this perfectly trained. I even took my dad's estate planning class in law school. Like that's how well-trained I was. Right. And, and yet, Again, the number of things that I didn't know really shocked me. And so that really set me off on this path 20 years ago to create what you referred to as the quote unquote owner's manual for our family. And it was really designed to be everything my family needed to know. You know, we all have, I hope we all, and in your YPO group that you talk about, I hope everybody has gone to their estate lawyer and gotten their in case of emergency checklist. And this idea was to go sort of exponentially past that. How do you take that as a core of information, but then how do you surround that with much more detail, much more information, and hopefully we can get into what that what that means. But that was kind of my journey to this owner's manual idea, and then ultimately to creating Leaf Planner. And it's very in line with the shift that we've seen play out in the market of holistic wealth management, which is goes beyond just finding, you know, you back, you know, in the day it was you have an investment manager, then you have your trust and estate attorney, and you have these other folks that they maybe kind of, because you tell them certain things, know what's going on, but they don't really has the complete picture. And more and more families and individuals are trying to really hone in on making sure that everything soup to nuts is taken care of. But it's very hard to find a singular resource because things have become so esoteric and niche. And especially within the, the specialty private practice areas for law, estate, finance, et cetera. So maybe, you know, how did you start to like crack this nut for your own family and then try to replicate it for others? Yeah, it's, I totally agree with you. I think this notion of holistic planning and, you know, it's, it's a little overused maybe at this point or everybody wants to say they do it, but it is this question as you're describing, especially when you're dealing with families, obviously of significant wealth or multi-generational wealth, even if they're at the first generation level and first generation wealth creators, you know, we've gotten to this point where people are talking about how do I prepare my heirs. You know, one of the things I, I really love, there's a lot of studies out there, I'm sure you've seen them, that talk about, you know, when when generational wealth transfers fail, and I don't necessarily mean, you know, we end up on the courthouse steps, but you're dissipating wealth in a way you didn't intend or whatever the question may be. But it's typically not because we didn't undertake enough investment focus or enough tax focus, right? It's because we didn't prepare the heirs or the inheritors to what they were coming into. And so I feel like there's this big imbalance. I kind of refer to it as the preparation imbalance, right? We prepare assets. We don't prepare errors. And, and most families, quite frankly, I think, see the need for the preparation of errors, but they don't do the work of preparing those errors. So Leaf Planner, again, and this whole owner's manual process is really a part of that, as is all of this notion of holistic planning. And so for me, you know, when I started this, again, if I go back 20 years, I mean, that was everything from how do I cover 
for my extended family, we were three generations and three branches. So, you know, not wildly large family, but complicated family. It was everything from who's the landscaper at my parents' house, which was tied up in tax litigation for five years after both my parents passed away, that we had to just kind of hang on to this, you know, huge house and take care of it, to things that we were doing within the family office. I, I tell people that in my owner's manual, we had, for example, a description of what our data redundancy process was. Like there had to be six people in the family office who had to get hit by a bus before anybody in my family would care about what data redundancy process we were using, right? But at the same time, it was important to me that the family knew we were thinking about it. And then this thing would go all the way to how were these kind of multi-generational transactions put together? Why were they put together? Who do you trust? Who do you not trust? Who are the people involved? And that's where I think you start to really see this idea get beyond this isn't just about let's go find these find these five documents or find these you know five pieces of information it's really to your point again going back to how do how do these pieces holistically fit together and how can you explain that in a way that my artist sister or even my venture capital brother can absorb and understand without having to understand my logic right or without having to understand my legal training or whatever it is so it's it's a lot of that kind of holistic nature of how do you put all these pieces together and how do you explain it to a normal human? I know within our own family, the, you know, there's always one person, usually not a family member, but a very close associate who knows where all the bodies are buried. And, you know, my father-in-law has told me, Hey, when, if something were to happen to me, the first thing to do is call Brenda. Brenda is like the family CPA. She's been with us forever. She knows the, you know, where the documents are, the right people to call. She has all the phone numbers, et cetera. Every family has seemingly a Brenda. And that's that institutional knowledge piece. And, the, and the, the challenge is not so much, that's awesome, you have that trusted person, but what happens if Brenda gets hit by the bus, right? And then you're really in a very difficult position because a lot of that information is in your own head. So how do you kind of de-risk that fact pattern? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a perfect fact pattern, right? And as you're saying, everybody has Brenda. And when I talk to people about the idea of the owner's manual, if people come at me with, oh, I'm very well organized, or I'm very well prepared, or I know everything, you know, and sometimes that's about, is it the matriarch or the patriarch or the head of family, whoever that is, doesn't matter, right? They're the one who gets hit by a bus. And when you can point out to them, it's what happens when Brenda gets hit by the bus, as you just said, or what happens when the three Brendas get hit by a bus, whatever that situation is. And it is a question of de-risking it, I think, as you're suggesting, by making sure that through this process of developing the owner's manual, you're creating a document or a, a process that is getting that information from all of those disparate sources. So whether that's the CPA, the, the state lawyer, the Brenda, I guess Brenda in that case was the CPA, but often that could be an office administrator. You know, we talk about this idea also of when people think about succession, right? And you probably talk a lot on the podcast about succession in business. And we talk about it in the family office world and we talk about it all over the place. And succession, I would argue, in most instances, is something we're talking about a body, a person, or the skill set that we think that body or person needs to have, right? We got to replace Josh. We got to replace the president of the, of the family office. We got to replace the CEO, whatever that thing is. And, and we almost never talk about the succession of information. And so to me, you know, Brenda is the perfect, again, example, because it's all the information that's in Brenda's head and the patriarch's head and the matriarch's head and the 
whoever is involved in these things, the property manager, whatever you pick it, right? Everybody's got some piece of the puzzle and it's how do you get all of that together? And there's nobody focuses on that. And I assume part of this is going through this process actually helps you identify some of these blind spots and, and weak points and chinks in the armor, correct? Yeah, I think that's the other big difference. And, and it's one of the reasons why I call it an owner's manual. And I think that if you think about the normal, again, in case of emergency file or whatever you want to call it, some people call it a red file, right? And in case of emergency file, a bus book. I heard somebody recently call it the, the family Bible. You know, it could really be any of these things, but those terms alone focus on what happens at death, right? Or incapacity or illness or something that really triggers this idea of the succession of information. The idea of the owner's manual to me is more front-ended, right? It's the idea that, you know, if you, so this actually started, I used to joke that I called it an owner's manual because of the old joke of you get an owner's manual with a toaster and not with a kid. And of course, then I was expanding that to say, and you don't get an owner's manual with a family of wealth either. And the idea to me is really, you know, hopefully nobody listening to your podcast would need an owner's manual to figure out how to operate a toaster. That's, we've all kind of gotten that pretty ingrained, right? But if you get a new digital camera, you know, you can pick it up and you can point and click and you can probably make it work. But the more you understand the owner's manual, right? The more you really are actually, what's, gonna, what's it going to do? It's going to improve your picture quality. And so I think the owner's manual for the family and the family enterprise is very much the same thing. It's how do I, you know, put, again, put all these pieces together so I understand how they really operate. So I look at the owner's manual, not as just that, death side or incapacity side, but at the front end, it's how do I identify gaps in my planning? How do I identify gaps in my thinking? How do I educate and prepare the next generation or my spouse or my partner or my advisors? How do I even use it as an engagement tool for next generation or, or any of those other people? So I think it's doing all those things. And the way we've kind of operationalized that, I guess, is to say that we go through what we've done is collect, or what I did in, in doing this is collect not just the estate lawyer checklist, right? Which is, again, I do scour checklists. Like I'm not trying to demean checklists. They're really important. And they're at the heart of what I do. But we're trying to then take that again from your holistic or multidisciplinary approach and say, well, what are all the insurance questions we should be asking? And what are all the estate questions we should be asking? And what are all the family dynamics questions and the medical questions and the, you know, in case of death questions and, and put all of this stuff together and see how it relationally fits together. And that is the only way I've found to really create that holistic picture and that real map. And then that takes you through that whole cycle of blind spots, education, and ultimately the succession of information. So how are most families you engage with doing it before you consult with them? Is it just spreadsheets and <laughs> Dropbox and I mean, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think I think the families that are the most prepared, if you will, or the most organized. Yes, it's a it's still the old, here's a list of five people. Here's the Excel spreadsheet that'll tell you something. And here's the box drive or the Dropbox or whatever seasoning, whatever system, you know, people are using. So yeah, I mean, and that's great, right? I mean, that's, that's going to get you further than the average family by far. And it's not going to get you where I think, you know, most of these families that we're talking about should be because it it's nearly impossible, right, to truly integrate, assuming that everybody isn't like the top five Excel users in the world and knows how to do this. It's really hard to integrate that information to, you know, if you think about 
instead of a hierarchical pattern, right? And you have to understand how my brain works when I set up my box file or my Dropbox or even that Excel folder or that Excel sheet, and you think of everything being much more about being relational, then how can you, not to say again, it can't be done, but no no normal human, right? It's going to know how to take an Excel sheet and a Dropbox and a Outlook contacts and, and figure out how do I map? How does this private investment fit to these people, fit to these expectations, fit to these documents, fit to this ownership structure, fit to this is how it fits in to, you know, in a state tax liquidation strategy. I mean, whatever these things are and nothing in that is going to push your thinking. You know, one of the things we try to do again, when I think about all those different checklists is say to families, for example, do you have long, maybe you're worth a hundred million dollars. Do you have long-term care insurance? Honestly, I couldn't care less if your answer is yes or no right? I just want to know that you answered that question deliberately, or you went back to your insurance advisor and you said, wow, that's a really interesting question. Why would I still think about long-term care insurance, even though I'm worth $100 million? So no Excel sheet's going to do that, right? No box folder or Dropbox folder is going to do that. So that's where, but yes, I think the families that are doing this well, right? It's called Brenda. It's going to go back to your father-in-law. It's called Brenda. Here's the balance sheet. Although I got to tell you, I'm stunned just about every day at how many families of wealth I turn to and say, well, let's start with a balance sheet. And, the, and I get this during the headlights look before somebody has to admit to me, they don't even have a balance sheet. So it's, you know, everybody's got their own organization system, I guess. Well, and, you know, I was reflecting on our own broader family, but also household level organization. You know, we migrated to a multifamily office a couple of years ago. And we've been going through these audits and we're trying to get organized. And I thought I was in pretty good shape, but you got this quote in your presentation from the, this woman who wrote this book, Chanel Reynolds. Yeah, Chanel Reynolds. Yeah, what matters yeah. most. Yeah. And it says, I was standing by the foot of my husband's bed in the intensive care unit. And I turned to my friend when I still couldn't get into my husband's phone. And remember that the will was drafted, but not signed. And I didn't know if the life insurance had been on auto pay. And I hope nothing bounced and didn't know if he had disability insurance or not. And just said, oh my God, I don't have my shit together at all. And I mean, I felt like my house is in order, but... I probably fail like two out of those fact, you know, those factors <laughs> that I'm not sure myself, to be honest with you. So when you, I'm curious to get a little bit more brass tacks, when you go into these engagements, or you talk to these families, like where, you said you start with the balance sheet, but where do you go from there? Like, are there priorities? Do you have your own checklist? How does this actually work in reality? Yeah, we've, we've developed what I would say is, you know, in some sense, a comprehensive roadmap or checklist. And it's broken down into a whole series of different modules so that some of it is very, you know, kind of hard data, that financial data, where are the investments who, but again, then you're surrounding that with the, why did you do them? Who would you go to? Do you trust your partners? You know, we had a story, I'll tell you really quickly. We had a, when I took over our family, we had a item on the balance sheet that we were carrying for $8,000. We'd get a K-1 every year, just like so many, you know, would on different investments, I didn't know anything about the investment. Every now and then a check would show up. And the story I keep telling about that is it's not inconceivable to imagine a somewhat unscrupulous partner coming to us and saying, hey, I know you're carrying that for $8,000. Would you like to sell it for $50,000? You get rid of it, get it off your balance sheet. Hey, $8,000 to $50,000, that'd be a nice little return. Who cares? I also keep saying like I was paid for many, many years to make sure this wouldn't happen, right? <laughs> but last summer, that partner came to us and said, who was non-unscrupulous partner, he's a longtime family friend, came to us and said, hey, by the way, 
It turned out that that was a multifamily development outside of Denver. It was built in 1978. They finally decided to sell it. It sold for $50 million and your interest was $1.5 million. I'm like, oh. So we all raised the glass to my dad and said, you know, thank you, dad. But it was, it was really shocking. So yes, I think there's all kinds of things as we go through this roadmap, that's not just financial related. It's again, you know, if you have an art collection as we do or a coin collection or this or that, how, who are the people again? What are the things that people need to know? And to the Chanel Reynolds quote, and it's just, it's just one of my favorite quotes because it's so relatable, right? Everybody can imagine that situation. So when I do this, for example, one of the things I'll say is, you know, I actually feel like I'm ahead of 90% of the world. My wife knows how to get in my cell phone. She knows how to get into my computer. And if she's staring at 4,600 Outlook contacts, which I looked recently to see so I could make that comment, what good have I done her? Not really a lot, right? I mean, she doesn't know who these 4,600 people are, or more importantly, who are the 10 that she really needs to know? So yes, that whole roadmap process and the process I go through or we go through with families is to is to tweak that thinking or to push those questions in a slightly different way. But even at that basic level, do you know how to get in the cell phone? Do you know how to get into the computer? Do you know who the first five people are to call? That's, I'd say that's the easy stuff, but if you haven't done it and now you're in that Chanel Reynolds quote and you're standing in the ICU or whatever the situation is, it's really difficult to figure out. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. You'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club podcast for more information and to sign up today. So you mentioned a, a couple things, you know, the balance sheet and and some others, but what are the other typical kind of easy wins that folks who are listening can think, okay, I, I need to start, you know, addressing this as soon as possible in terms of where would you start if you were prioritizing your work in this world? Yeah, I'd start. So it's funny, and I'm, I'm, I hope it's okay to make a shameless plug. Uh, there's a new version of the Wealth of Wisdom book for your listeners who may know the original Wealth of Wisdom book that just came out. And it's all about actual top tools that families can directly use. And they invited me to write a chapter, chapter 23. Um, so they invited me to write a chapter in it, but it'll give people some of that idea. But I would say, you know, you want to start by thinking about, first of all, just what are the first things you think in, if you could never talk to anybody again? And I, I mean, that doesn't even have to be that literal. That could be, I'm stuck in Ukraine and I can't get out in the middle of the beginning of the war or whatever, you know, the situation is, it doesn't even have to be, I dropped dead. What are the first things that my family would need to know, right? Think about what are those first phone calls? What are the kind of tidbits that people do need to know? We ask people to think about what I refer to as their sphere of responsibility. Who do you have responsibility for? That could be your pets. That could be non-family members or even family members who aren't really part of your estate planning, but maybe you're helping in some way and you have a responsibility or you want that responsibility continued. Obviously, there's a ton of information about your direct family. And what does that um, include? Then we really want families to think about their, what does your digital footprint look like? That can mean all kinds of different things, right? That's, a, that's important in the event of identity theft. It's important in terms of how do you access these things. It's important in terms of finding off balance sheet items. Um, there's a big note in my owner's manual about how many airline miles we have. And that's, that's a pretty valuable asset to my family. It's not 
you know, is it the worst thing in the world if it disappears? No, but would it be great for them to have those miles? Of course. Then we really want families to go down that sort of asset and liability rabbit hole, right? whether there's a balance sheet or not. But again, more holistically, going back to your initial conversation, we want families to think about not only what are those assets, but what happens to them. Think about things like inheritability of country clubs or vacation clubs. Are there rules? My wife and I belong to a club called Exclusive Resorts. And it turns out that it's inheritable by my kids. Somebody has to alert exclusive resorts within 180 days that I'm dead or they don't get to inherit it. Well, that's not that long. I mean, I'm not sure they'll still be crying 180 days later, but I hope they're at least not, you know, that may not be the first thing on their minds as they're thinking about an estate tax return and, you know, figuring out life insurance and all the other stuff. Then life insurance is another perfect example of a, a rabbit hole we want people to go down. And that's not just obviously the life insurance, it's the you know, property and casualty, it's DNO insurance, it's evacuation insurance, whatever a family has, and making sure that those things are documented, that they're reviewed frequently, that they're right size to what you're really trying to do, right? I see families, you probably see this a lot too. I see families all the time who their wealth has grown exponentially and nobody's ever reviewed the umbrella insurance. And so again, maybe you've got a hundred million dollar family carrying $5 million of umbrella coverage. You know, things are just way out of whack in terms of what they should be doing. So there's the insurance side of it. I like to get families to think about things that people really pretty often forget about. Safety deposit boxes, stock options, storage units, all kinds of different. I mean, again, sorry, I'm not staring at my checklist. There, there are all kinds of these things, you know, that exist. We found a safe deposit box receipt in my dad's stuff when he passed away. No bank name, no date. You know, to this day, I jokingly say, like, I don't know if there's a million dollars in gold sitting in a safe deposit box. And the good news is we're, you know, originally Jews from Eastern Europe. And so I'm pretty sure it's not family recipes, right? But it's like, how do you find this stuff? So anyway, hopefully that helps give people a way to think about how do you get this started? Right. And, and your to your earlier point, it, it's not so much asking kind of the what, but the why, right? And even knowing the right questions to ask, like I mentioned before, this new family office group we're working with did an audit of our life insurance coverage just on a household level. And they brought in a third-party consultant and he said, oh yeah, you're way undercovered and you're paying too much premium. Let's recast it. We can take it back to the market. I didn't even know that was possible. Like, I didn't know you could do that. I had no idea, right? I wouldn't even know to ask that. I thought it was just locked in forever. And so, you, you know, I mean, even knowing the right questions to ask or who to bring in is, I think, more than half the battle on this stuff. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I, I, you know, one of the ways I look at this process, especially for families that if you take the typical first generation wealth creating family, who has obviously done something wildly successful, and that doesn't mean that they know how to run a family office or what the 17 billion things that a family office should be thinking about. And frankly, there's no, you know, there's, there are a few actually really good books about how to construct a family office and things like that. But again, there's nothing that takes people through. These are all the things you ought to think about and how you do them. And often, even in a family office case, right, most of the time, you might start a family office around an investment function or something or a tax function or whatever it's going to be, in which case, those people don't necessarily know all those questions. So to your point, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I see families who maybe they've got an art collection, and it started in, in a sense that it made a lot of sense to just add, to schedule out the art they held on their Chubb homeowner's policy. Well, how do they know? okay, there's a point at which you're going to cross into, it makes a lot more sense economically and coverage-wise 
to go get a museum fine arts policy and take it away from your Chubb policy. And let's assume they have a Chubb policy and not a State Farm policy. I love State Farm, by the way. Not <laughs> Yeah, just how to ask those questions or to know that those are the questions that you should be asking is a really difficult process. And there's no, there's no guide for anybody out there that does that. And could you comment on how technology has allowed for this idea to come to fruition? I assume in the world of pushing paper, very challenging. But now with technology, this has allowed the solution set to come to solve this problem, right? Yeah, I think that's a really important you know, reality, obviously, of where we are and how this has evolved. I mean, when I started this for our family, again, it was 2000 to 2002, probably is when I really started. And you know, by then, obviously, everything is sort of moving into the digital world. We're moving away from the three-ring binder. I mean, if you talk to people who used to do this, and even in my early legal career, you know, this was still three-ring binders and cross tabs, <laughs> you know, whatever else, however anybody was trying to do that. Then you kind of moved into, of course, the digital world and whether that was, you know, Lotus and WordPerfect and obviously moving to Word and Excel and now, you know, Google Sheets and Google Docs and Box and Dropbox and all these things. And those tools were really helpful. And now I think we've actually moved, obviously, to the point where you can really do this on a relational basis and really merge this idea of information management and relational database kind of architectures and storage doesn't matter. And and so that's Leaf Planner is entirely built on that concept of the evolving technology. So I can walk around. And in fact, I was doing this like just a few months ago, I was driving around. And again, I, I'll use the art collection again as an example. You know, I had never thought about the fact that, and I've been doing this for 20 years, it never had occurred to me, I should say to my family, I've been sitting on nonprofit boards in the art world for 15 years. Those executive directors of these organizations who would help me in any way they could. So if I was gone and my family needs help understanding what we have, I mean, they're not going to turn around and help them sell it, but they would turn around and help them understand it. And so all of a sudden I was able to quickly, actually, I think I did it on my phone, right? So I can just jump on my phone and attach this new person to this asset in my, now it's called the leaf plan, but in my owner's manual. And so, yeah, I think technology is making it much easier to do the notion of it being dynamic instead of static. Like that, that three ring binder was fairly static because you had to actually, right, open it up and pull out an old trust agreement, put in a new trust agreement. And now, you know, your estate lawyer sends you a new document and boom, you link it over to wherever it is. Or you think about a person that should be tied to something. So the whole technology evolution has really, I think, increased the ability to do this and do it in a meaningful way that helps the family. There's the old bromide that information knowledge is the most valuable asset in the world. Certainly true in these situations as well. Could you comment on this concept of aligning succession with succession of information? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> if I understand the question. Yeah, I, I guess I would say it's whether you're succeeding to, again, whether it's a family office person, a business person, a new advisor and succession, you know, succession, again, even sounds like death and it doesn't have to be. You can change lawyers, you can change wealth advisors, you can change insurance people. And so I think we've been transitioning much like you were describing from a single family office to a multifamily office environment over the last five, six years. And in doing that, one of the things that I did was I would deliver this owner's manual to the firms that we were interviewing and saying, hey, here's what the Cantor family is all about. And they would look at me like with this stunned 
wow, <laughs> right? I mean, we've never seen anything like this. And how helpful was that as they were examining and being able to, one, give us a proposal, but ultimately be able to say, yes, we can take this, we can take this, we can do this, we can do that. But also whether it's, again, obviously kids, you know, or spouses. And so that succession of information and the transfer of knowledge, which doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be that I'm here one day, I'm gone the next day. This can be a long, I've seen people take these owner's manuals now into family meetings and use them as educational, again, educational tools or into a new advisor and use them as that succession of information. So again, I guess I would just say, you know, succession should be thought of in a pretty broad context, not in a, oh, Josh just got hit by the bus. Let's figure out how do we replace him. And so along those lines, what's in your opinion, best practice for the cadence of revisiting or updating this document? Because it's a living document, right? I mean, things are always changing. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, my goal, and I don't know how realistic this is, you know, I, I guess I probably have to admit that there's probably a pretty serious OCD level somewhere buried deep inside of me too. But I would, I'd love people to think about it almost as second nature, you know, and that it's the cadence is constant, because you'd be thinking about, oh, I just bought a new car, I should add it to my owner's manual. We sold a house, we did a new private investment. And I do have people who I think, excuse me, have gotten to that point where they're active investors. They know as soon as they make a new investment, they go add, you know, all of this description into their owner's manual. Why did I do it? Well, who's involved in it? All that kind of stuff. At a minimum, I'd say, you know, maybe you review it quarterly or annually and make sure that you're updating it. I think the reality to me, and I don't think it even is, is a wealth question. It's just a life question, at least in the first world, right? Life is complicated. And the older we all get, the more complicated things seem to get. And, you know, whether it's that you've got even a second home or a multitude of private investments or collections or country clubs, or I don't pick it, it doesn't matter. It's just complicated. And when you start thinking of all the moving pieces. So again, I guess my, my hope is that people would start to make it second nature and do it all the time. But we help clients through that by making sure that there's a, at least a quarterly or annual review process to go through it. So you, you referenced that you have a, a touch of OCD, which I think is probably very healthy given your focus <laughs> here. Um, and somebody in the enterprise has to have that. A question I ask folks on the show that, you know, is there a daily practice that helps bring you kind of peace within your world? Huh. I'm not going to say a daily practice, but I think... I don't know. For me, I, I look at maybe this is not the direction you're going. I'll make this very personal. I look at my dad and his career, and frankly, the hell that I think he went through. He was, you know, again, he was a world renowned trust and state lawyer. The government went after him on criminal charges in the mid 70s. So I was a teenager watching this happen. They failed at that. He was acquitted. And then they started to go after him civilly. And that's the litigation that I ended up taking on. It was litigation that lasted for 33 years, including going to the U.S. Supreme Court, and which I don't recommend, by the way, very expensive. He was the calmest, smartest. I love him to death. And, and I think that if I inherited anything from him, certainly didn't get his brain, but if I inherited anything from him, it was probably the calm. And so I maybe it's also because I had the good fortune of my parents put me through school and I was a well-trained lawyer. And I think even as that tax litigation going was going on, which was a very all or nothing thing for our family, 
where, you know, my joke was if we lost that tax litigation, my next job was going to include the phrase, do you want fries with that? <laughs> but I knew my wife and I could always go back to being lawyers and we'd be fine economically and, and whatever. So I don't know that there's really something daily, but um, I think I've been really fortunate to be, to have come from this, you know, family. I, I won the lottery as they say in these things and I realize it and, you know, I've had tremendous tremendously good fortune in my life. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel pretty calm about the whole thing. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I think this is a conversation that everybody needs to be having internally, especially as things like you said, get more and more complex. If people are interested in connecting with you and learning more about Leaf Planner or just engaging with you about the work you're doing, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah. My email is josh at leafplanner.com. And I will say, I love talking about this stuff. You don't have to be interested in Leaf Planner. You don't have to be interested in engaging with me directly. If you just have questions and want to chat about stuff, I'm more than happy to do that anytime. Awesome. Josh, thanks so much for coming on. For those of you who listened, if you enjoyed this conversation, please do leave us a review and let us know the favorite part of the episode. Josh, take care. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 